Okay, welcome to Morph Talk episode three. Thank you to everyone who's listened to the first couple of episodes. Uh, today we've got Tom Wolf from Wolfie Royals on. Uh, we're going to get into some DG stuff. And um, also Wolfie's got his own podcast starting soon, which I'm really looking forward to. So how long ago did you get into snakes? I've been interested in them for years. I can remember watching, I think we talked about it in the live before, watching things like... Um, See everyone watch Steve Irwin, mm. yeah, Crocodile Hunter, Crocodile Diary, stuff like that. Um, Nigel Marvin as well. I remember watching that. He had a, a program called Giants. Yeah, I watched that, yeah. And it was it was just phenomenal. It's like the first time I'd ever really seen you know, big reticulated pythons, big anacondas, big komodos and things like that properly on TV. Yeah, in feature length sort of episodes, you know, hours at a time. Yeah. So I'd always been interested in them. And never really, really done anything with it. And I used to do a lot of martial arts when I was younger. One of the guys, um, that was one of the instructors there, him and his brother ran a, a reptile shop down the road. So I just, you know, used to go in there, have a little look around, see what was there, think about buying stuff, never buy anything really. And then one day I think I bought some corn snakes and things like that. And... Yeah, corn snakes turned into royals, and then royals has been one it is since then, really. Did your corn snakes escape? No, I've still got one. Oh, have you? One yeah. Everyone um, I've spoken to who's had a corn snake had an escape. No, I've had royals escape. Never had a corn snake escape. Um, we had two. One of them, one of them died a few years back. But yeah, one of them, I must be 11, 12 years old now. Still got, Still going strong. Just a standard Carolina corn. Oh, okay. Lovely, absolutely lovely snakes. Really, really nice, and they're tiny when they when you get them, like literally mm. colourful worms, and that's it. Yeah, I let um, I let thirty of them go when I was at a uh, reptile shop, <laughs> um, and we found two. Ouch! We found one that was behind the till. The f- yep. Like about a week later, and then. Uh, Another one turned up three months later. Someone brought it in from the car park. And it had been eating. It had grown. It was big and it was fat. But it was definitely one of ours. Hey, It's mad. Yeah. Because it was, I mean, luckily it was summer. So obviously it survived. But um, yeah, it'd been eating something. I remember them bringing it in and we were like, it was bigger than the one that we had in the shop. Plenty of field mice and stuff around for them, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well... Yeah, but yeah, twenty eight never found. But luckily, the um, it wasn't it wasn't the worst one because the guy I worked with, we had uh, uh, we had a big amount uh, like a lo- a colony of emperor scorpions. All right, he let okay. all them go, and we never Oops. found them. I had some um, giant hissing cockroaches loose in the house before. Oh, <laughs> I was finding them for ages. I had them at the time, and you had the two corns. Um, I might have had a couple of royals in racks, but nothing major, nothing like it is now. But we had these two big double stack bibs, really, really nice bits they were. But of course, the hitting cockroaches don't really want any heat on them, so I was just putting them on on top of the bib. Yeah, a little bit of heat there, just so the ambient was up a little bit. And there was hundreds, if not thousands, in this tub that this guy had given me. I can't remember what I had them for. I think I was meant to take them to someone or drop them off somewhere. And I wasn't going there for like another week. 
and then I could just hear like a scratching sort of hissing burrowing noise fuck's that then when we pulled the vivid out there's just loads of cockroaches <laughs> down behind it and I was like oh no yeah luckily enough they were decent sizes so we had them in a another you know, the rooms you get they've got the, like the yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So they, they had just basically bitten and scratched and chewed, chewed through those. It, yeah. And we're just climbing out the backs and that was it. So, yeah, there was giant and cockroaches everywhere. But then a decent enough size that you can catch them and pick them up and chuck them back in. Um, so, obviously, you work with DG stuff. Do you work with any, like, Albino or Ultramel? My issue with Ultramel is not that it's not a nice gene. It's just where does it go? So, it looks great in Pied. Mm-hmm. The Ultramel Clown looks okay. It's not amazing. Someone posted a picture of the Ultramel puzzle, which was quite underwhelming for what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can go and buy a double recessive Ultramel pie now for about three, three and a half thousand euros. Yeah. That price is never going to go up. No, it's already going down, I think. It's already dropping yeah. quite significantly. It's when people say to me, oh, what about Hypo? Well, it's it's another dead gene for me because it's, it's the entry level recessive for, for most people. Yeah. And that most people buy into first if they're getting into recesses is Orange Ghost or Hypo or some something of the other. Um you can buy Desert Ghost Hypo female now for like two thousand, two thousand quid. Yeah. You can't buy a DG clown for two thousand, three thousand quid. No, about ten so grand. <laughs> exactly. So there's obviously something in in that price structure that people are going, Well actually this isn't as nice as or this isn't as desirable as that DG Clown. So for me, it's the only reason I'd buy a DG Hypo is if I was trying to make triple recessives. Yeah. Which at this point, I'm not overly fussed by. Yeah. I've got plenty of doubles to work on. More than enough doubles to work on. It'll, it's, a, it's, a, it's a full-time job, isn't it? Um, okay, everything, everything. So you're feeding, do your rodents, etc. If you're doing that, it's like having another job. It is exactly like having another job that you're not getting paid for. Yeah, I think so, that's. Yeah, I, don't... I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's the time constraint because that's that's what I was saying. I don't, I don't, I'm. It's tempting to get into like you always look at another recessive project and think, oh, I'll get into that. But then you start thinking about the future and the extra rack space and all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to be one of those guys unless by some miracle it became my full-time job i don't want to end up with two three hundred snakes because you know you got family work kids you know like you know you know that's i've just sort of set up my adult racks i've picked up a few more levels of racking and things so i'm adult wise i'm probably at capacity on spaces to where I want to be, and that's about forty-five breeding weight females. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. I haven't, I haven't got that many, but I've got space for about forty-five breeding weight females. Yeah. Even if sixty percent of those produced, and I got 30, 35 clutches a year. Yeah. That's still a lot of work. That's still potentially. Let's say every one of those was six eggs on average. It's two hundred. Even if it was five, you're still looking at one hundred fifty seven hatchlings. Yeah. That's that's a hell of a lot of work for someone that's not paying someone to look after them or not paying someone to do all the cleaning and the feeding. Yep. And that's got to fund that all themselves. Yep. 
so you can make a good living out of doing it and you can make you know, a, a nice bit of bit of wedge out of the back of it but it is also a hell of a lot of work which is what people forget. it's not just pairing two snakes and then getting back until the cash comes in it's doing all the work it's affording the racking it's affording the electricity that comes with all those extra spaces it's it's not cheap at all no no i mean but i don't some people are so worried about speaking about money in the uk like so worried about it yeah it's it i don't know why it's such a taboo because at the end i think the only reason why it should be um a problem is if you found someone who was say making 50 grand a year and they had shitty racks and they you know their snakes were in shitty conditions and everything and they were just you know and they were driving around in a nice car and all that kind of stuff then you know yeah argument i can say but if people are you know quite obviously looking after the snakes you know um feeding them properly caring for them properly and everything and you're making money from it so it doesn't yeah, okay. who cares plenty of people make lots of money from other things you know no one sits there and slags off people who are making like birthday cards and christmas cards on the side for a living you know i'll get this no. bit of money for making handmade christmas cards at four or five quid a pop no what? one cares about that but the minute you mention animals and snakes yeah. and a bit of income, oh, you're, you're the lowest of the low sort of thing. That's like, yeah, over yourself. Well, you say that. I mean, when, I remember when I bought my dog, um, the woman I bought my dog off, you know, she breeds full time. She's got a nice house, you know, um, she makes money, yeah. <laughs> you know, but the dogs are kept, you know, great. You know, they are kenneled, but they, she's got like yeah. state of the art kennels. It's so more yeah. like a doggy hotel, um, and I don't begrudge her one bit. You know, not at all. You know, not at all. She, if they're not doing it, someone else would be doing it. Yeah, it, it's not like it's a, a secret club or yeah. If and let's be honest, if you don't make money out of buying and selling and breeding animals, particularly the snakes and particularly the royals, you're doing something wrong mm. because the market's as good as it's ever been. Mm. You're either breeding lower end stuff because you just want to breed and you're not worried about the money coming in, mm-hmm. or you're pricing your animals pretty bloody badly. Yeah, yeah. Because there's there's money to be made doing it, and the sooner people admit that they do it because it can make them money, the better. Yeah. Because hundred percent, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today in terms of the animals I'm buying and the animals I'm breeding. If I didn't make money from selling other animals, so it's it's not like it's just going in my pocket and you know I'm jetting around the world doing what I want to do and buying flashy cars and things. It's it's going back into building the game, you know, converting the garage. It's going back into racking. It's going back into other animals. It's going back into it's going back into the hobby in somewhere or another. I need to make money back from it to, to carry on doing that. So why shouldn't I be allowed to? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't want to talk about it in like a bad way or anything, but essentially, there's people who it costs them money. There's yeah. people who break even, and yeah. then there's people who make money. It's essentially yeah. like a pyramid scheme, <laughs> you know. Um, but to deny that the people at the top of the pyramid aren't making a profit would be a bit ridiculous because 
you know, you can see certain yeah. people are selling a lot of snakes for, you Decent know, money. Yeah. yeah. And a there's good, a good living wage that it's almost impossible for them to reinvest all of that money back into snakes unless they just kept expanding, yeah. kept expanding and ended up with a facility the same size as Justin. And then, um, and then yeah. they, and then they would have to make money because they couldn't get any bigger, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. At, yeah, no, completely. you know, so, but you can't begrudge them because I mean, I don't know how, how many hours a week do you reckon you spend? I'm in here every day for at least, maybe not in one stretch, but I'm in here every day for at least two, three hours. Yeah. So it's another job. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's another part-time job. You think, say it was two and a half hours at seven times a week, you're looking at 17 and a half hours, which classes as a, actually classes as full-time, isn't it? 16 hours is part-time working. Yep. So yeah, it's, that's the price of what you're doing it. And then, yeah. Yeah. Then adding on the cost of feeding your animals in that time, you're adding in the cost of bedding. You know, substrate's not exactly cheap. You know, there's alternatives out there that you can use that are cheaper. Things, but depends on what you use for bedding and stuff. It's expensive, or it can be expensive. You've got a hell of a lot of animals to look after. Rodents ain't cheap exactly. You know, if you're doing a, a couple of hundred quid a month in in rodent bills, then mm. you, you need to make that some. You need to make that back somewhere along the line because I can't afford just to put out, say, two, three hundred quid a month from rodent bills every month and not make something back from it. Yeah. Because who can, who can actually go, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to spend two and a half, three grand a year on dead rats and dead mice and think that's an acceptably fine charge to incur. No one can do that. Literally, no one can do that. What, what do you feed? Do you feed rats or ISFs? I feed everything: mice, ASFs, rats, all sorts. Do you find um, any difference? To be honest, no. no. Certain animals, yes. I've had certain animals that would only take bulbies and they'll bulk up quicker on malts and things like that. But generally, if you're feeding rats and you're feeding mice and you're feeding malts, not really. To be honest. But not really at all. Mm. The only reason I stopped doing Maltes, I used to breed my own Maltes, but I had quite a few that were multi-only feeders. And it was hard to buy them from the shops at the time at the sizes I needed, mm-hmm. which isn't still the case now. And they were expensive. at the. If you could get them at that price, they were expensive. You're looking at two quid for a 40, 50 gram malt. It's like, fuck, oh, like, You've got fifty of those a week. That's shitload of money a week. That's four hundred pound a month. Yeah. Like no one compare that to rats, which are maybe ninety pence each for a small rat or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking at less than half the value. So yeah, I mean, it's, I've still got stuff to feed some moulties and I've been moulties, but as a staple, I try and feed mice to start, rats as they're getting bigger, and then keep them rats, or if they don't. Don't take rats, then they'll get moles, and that's it. But I don't really find a huge difference in either. I would say that the ones that are on moles do do put out less waste. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about cleaning them. Well, not not you're not cleaning them as much, but 
you know that they're not going to be crap everywhere, like the same as something on the on a rat wheel. But yeah, I wouldn't say there's a huge difference in terms of the weight they put on and the speed at which they grow. I think they're pretty similar. Oh, I just don't know. I've I've only ever fed ASFs. I don't. I've never fed rats. So I just. Do you breed your own, or do you buy those in? Um, I do both. So I I breed. I sort of probably about. Uh, I don't know. I did, production at times can be really good. Like in the summer months, I'm like overrun yeah. with them. Um, but um, yeah. I probably still buy more than fifty percent. Okay. Yeah, um, but again, that's another job, isn't it? Like once you start breeding those out, and you get more and more colonies to to sustain your collection on its own, then you're cleaning rats out for longer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're adding more time in, and it all depends how much you value your time and how much food's costing you, etc., to increase to that to that number. Yeah, I was going to say probably cost-wise, uh, I don't save any money by breeding my own because um, the amount of food and the bedding and you know and all that costs me, and then I probably spend two hours a week cleaning rodents. Um, yeah. So you know, it's it's kind of but the thing is sometimes it's invaluable having them just because like, like I have, you know, hatchlings or something that will only eat live for a while and, you know, having them, you know, or to get them just started or, um, I've bought a couple like, um, I think Justin feeds live, doesn't he? I think most people in the US do, don't they, to be honest? Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I had one from him and I started that on the first couple of feeds I gave it were live. Um, and if I didn't have them, um, but but then I switched it to frozen thawed. All all of my all of my adults, everything is pretty much on frozen thawed anyway. So yeah, if, the things I think live are stubborn hatchlings. Yeah, that might just need something live and then running around, jumping around to to get going. Or if I've had a problem feeder that might drop off food for a few weeks or or whatever, or a few months. 95% of the time we chuck a live in and it's gone. Yeah. There's a nice girl that's done it. She, she won a food at about 1100, 1200 grams. Yeah. It was ferocious up until that point. It was feeding perfectly. Didn't really hit that kilo wall that people talk about. Kept feeding through. And then she just became really timid around throw some forward rats. Mm. I'd offer it. She'd crawl back into the back of the tub. I said, well, yeah, she was only about 18 months at the time, so she's not going to be ready to breed just yet. I want to get a bit more weight on her. I've got some live here. I'll give her a try. Put live in there, and seconds it was gone. And then ever since that, she's been throwing some forward again, smashing it down. So it has its time, it has its uses, it has its places. So I don't knock live feeding. I don't think it's a bad thing. It's always, people just get cool, too caught up on it, don't they? It's no, I like breeding it collection and that's what you're breeding it for then what's the issue i think in the end of the day my priority is the snakes I, I don't i don't watch it i don't film it i don't enjoy it um but at the end of the day like if i've to be fair usually i've exhausted every other avenue by the time i've kind of got to that point so it's not like i'm doing it because i enjoy it and like i said i switch everything to frozen thought as soon as i can so yeah it's i would like prefer to Offer a live prayer, and then I would to be assist feeding and force feeding. Yes, things. yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, because I'd rather that snake fed on its own than me having to do it. Yeah, 
yeah, I've never had to assist feed anything and I don't want to. <laughs> so. I've ones that I've had to assist that were quite scared of the rat or the mouse. Give them a little assist feed. Literally, I don't assist feed like a full speed. I put the, the nose and the head in the mouth, sort of squeeze the jaw shut around it so it hooks in. It takes, it takes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's yeah. It, it's either going to eat eventually or it's or it's going to waste away. So it's. I'd rather do it live than watch a snake waste away. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I say. The priority is the snake. So at the end of the day, it is what it is, and that's what they eat. You know, like if they eat sausages, great, but they don't. You know, like <laughs> they don't unfortunately. No. But then I've had, I've offered live, and it doesn't even want live either. So. I've left it and I've had females that have gone you know, 13, 14 months without feeding. And then one day just gone, bang, okay, yeah, I want some food now. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Cheers. Thanks for that. Yeah. I think that's the thing. If they're big enough, you kind of worry a bit less and they can go a long time without food. But yeah, yeah, you know, when you've got a hatchling that won't eat and you know that's, you know, it, it, you've got to give it something, uh, you know, because it's probably only going to live for two, three weeks, <laughs> you know, without it. Yeah. I mean, I hatched some about two years ago now that four eggs from a pairing, one of them came out massive, like 109 grams out of the egg. Absolute chunk, like <laughs> fat as anything. Um, the other one was a standard normal baby, you know, 60, 70 grams, what you'd expect. Yeah. And I had two come out, I had absorbed all the yolk, nothing was left in the egg, nothing was left in the umbilical, and they were like 21 and 23 grams. Wow. One of them took defrost straight away. The other would not take anything but live. I think I gave it five or six live feeds, and bang, that snake's now breeding this year. Wow! So it's, it gets there. It's the leap when they're ready and they'll do what they want, and they can last quite a surprisingly long time without food. But yeah, you don't want to watch it if it does go bad. No, I've seen people like post up where they've had like two, three months before they've had their first shed, so and they haven't eaten. You know, so they can yeah. go. They can go a long time, but I hatched a desert ghost male this year. That's thirty-four grams or something like that. He hasn't eaten yet. Oh, really? Yeah, won't eat. I've offered him everything. Tried assist feeding. Just keep spitting it back out. Um, it'll go eventually. And he's active. He's moving around. He's he's in decent enough condition. But yeah, it's been about about three, four weeks now since he hatched. You're more relaxed than I am. I'd be panicking by this point. <laughs> there's nothing I can do, really. Is it? You know, uh, bar force feeding it, there's, yeah, there's yeah. nothing to to make that snake eat, which I don't really want to be doing. So it it's there. It's striking at them. It's it is trying to give it a go, but it just doesn't want to strike and boil. So I'll leave it. I'll try drop feeding. See what happens with it. Some of them are really rubbish at coiling. You see it with it, you know. Terrible, you know. They just grab it, but don't coil it and things like that. And you, oh, yeah, you know, it's fine if you give them one. frozen thawed. But I got one that was on coil the second time round. Put the him, it will strike its head. Yeah, bite it. You go. I've got it. Take it away. Look, ten minutes later, it's just left the room right there. Pick it up again. Shake it again. It'll strike and coil. Why it does it? I don't know. Shy feeder, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it's almost like it doesn't know it wants to feed just yet. Yeah. It's grown 200 grams now. Um, 
that shows she is taking food down, but ever since any that's how she would fit. First time it would just be a strike and grab it and pull it down. Next time she'd strike it, call it and eat it. Yep. Fuck that's why. Yeah, it's just, some of them are just shot. I had a male that was really weird and I I had to figure this out over weeks and weeks and weeks how to get him to eat because he wouldn't, every feeding night, he wouldn't come out of his hide. Yeah. So I would drop the ASF in, close tub, feed others, come back and he'd come out of his hide because he could smell it. Then I'd have to pick it back up again, <laughs> close his tub, re-dip the head, open his tub, go back, hold it in front of him for at least 30 seconds before he would strike and coil it. And I had to do that every week. But it's, <laughs> it took me ages to figure it out. It took me ages to figure it out. I couldn't get him to eat. Couldn't get him to eat. But he's just like really shy or something. He just won't... He just won't... I, now he's brilliant. Now he just eat with the rest of them. But yeah. I had to do that every week for week and week and week and week and week to, to get it's him to eat. It is painstaking to do it. It's just, yeah, some, some of them are just weird. But, really? Yeah. So um, what... You, I know you touched on substrate, but what substrate do you use? I've at the moment got a mix of paper for hatchlings. Um, I've got coconut husk in the adult racks at the minute. Um, still trying to find the best substrate that I like to use, to be perfectly honest. There's pros and cons to everything. I like like the coconut husk. I don't have to worry about things shed in. I don't have to worry about you know, keeping humidity up and things like that. Mm-hmm. It does get wet if you have know, water bowl spill, etc. And then it goes goes a bit wet, goes a bit too humid at times. Yeah. And it can mask a lot of odours, and not only odours, but things like urates and things can quite easily drop through the bottom of the tub, or drop through the top of the substrates that are on the bottom of the tub and you don't normally see it, but it's easy to do. I don't have to worry about it. Once it's made up, I know that if I call that and it was in shed, humidity is going to be okay anyway. It's going to shed out pretty fine. Yeah. I tried using paper about... Four weeks ago, six weeks ago, I was really, really busy at work. I thought, I'm just going to change everything to paper, and that would save me a bit of time cleaning. I hated it. I couldn't get rid of it quick enough. <laughs> Literally hated it. It was, it got wet really quickly. It got stinky really quickly. It was almost like slimy on the top where the water had spilt. Yeah. And it, I hated it. It was... It wasn't any quicker to clean it out because I was like, this is doing my head in. So every time like, there was a crap or a piss or something like that, or they tipped the bowl or they'd gone in a bowl and sposhed water it, it was taking it all out, drying it all off, wiping it down with some like disinfectant or a thin death or something like that, putting it back in. I had one of them that I changed three times over a weekend. I put it in on the Friday and I changed it Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I was like, this isn't any cheaper because I'm just putting more substrate in. Yeah. But I'm just doing the same thing more times. That's yeah. the only reason it's cleaner. <laughs> and it, yeah, I hated it. It was, yeah, not for me. Not for me at all. No. I, I like Lignosel. Lignosel's good. Um, if you do miss a shed, it can be a bit, can be a bit dry and can be a bit, bit of a crap shed, but generally on the whole, it's been okay. It just gets everywhere, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, a pain in the ass to clear up. 
Yeah, I, I've never done Lignocell only because of the horror stories. Obviously, the amount of people who buy it from pet shops and then get mites and things like that. So I just, yeah. I've never tried it. Um, and plus, everyone talks about how messy it is. So if you've got a floor, use Lignocell. That'd be my my advice. If you've got a whole floor, it's not too bad. You can sweep it up. That's burn it up. It's done. Um, as long as you're looking after animals and you're making sure they're okay on a daily basis in terms of water, humidity, things like that, Lignocell's fine. And I think value for money, Lignocell's probably the best. Yeah. Because you can get a lot more cleanings out of a bag of Lignocell than you can you know, a block of husk. It doesn't yeah. really matter what, what brand it is. You know, Lignocell's going to last you a hell of a lot longer. Yeah. In terms of need shredges, you know, I think a 12 kilo bags, 150 litres, something like that. So you get a hell of, hell of a lot of it. Yeah. Your money. I think that's I think that's really that's the general consensus now is like a lot of people are switching to cocoa and you know, uh, but I know people who've used Lignocell still use Lignocell and they like it. So I've been suffering so many times so on the first stuff I ever used was Orchid Bark. Okay. Um, Orchid Bark beach chips was sort of what I was sold originally. Um obviously the beach chips are quite dry, crap mm. for royal. I then turned to orchid bark when I was, you know, getting in trouble with bad sheds and low humidity. Went from that to lignocell. Used lignocell for a couple of years and it was fine. And then coconut husk came, once they came out into the market, was more accepted and more readily available in the market. So you had things like Tropi Chip and things like that that were coming out. Yeah. And that was all right, but it was pretty rough, you know, quite soily, quite gritty. Um, and then things like Reptichip came over here, Herp Husk, things like that, which were better quality husks than what you could get previously. Yeah. Um, and there's like Repti Block and things like that now, isn't there as well? And sort of different grades of you know, how fine and stuff is ground down. But for me, as long as they're clean and they're healthy and they're happy in terms of, you know, they're not sitting there wallowing in their own crap in their feces for ages. Yeah. You know, essentially a substrate is somewhere for the animal to, to shit and piss. Yeah. That, that's essentially what it is. So am I going to be spending hundreds of pounds on every clean out? No, because it's it's just not viable. I mm. can't afford to do it. Um, so, yeah, you want your, your best value for the money for, for what you can get, don't you, really? Yeah. I suppose it's what you can afford, really. Of course it is. Yeah. Same with everything, you know. Um I mean, like I say, you know, I feed, I, you know, I, I, I do do coke, uh, rept chip or um, rept block. Um, I've used, yeah. I use both. I, I sort of intermittent yeah. between the two. I can't really. There is a slight difference between the two, but they're pretty comparable, pretty similar. Yeah. And same with feeding ASFs and everything. But I, yeah, it's quite a lot of money doing it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I probably no, do spend be, quite a bit of money. But. Yeah, it's one of those things you've got to consider when you're thinking about expanding into rack systems or you yeah. know, more rack systems and things like that is, all right, cool, I've got an extra 30 adult tubs, but how much is that going to cost me to heat? How much is that going to cost me to clean? How much is that going to cost me to feed? Yeah. It all adds up, and it might only be a little bit for each one, but if you're doing that over the course of a year, then it yeah, it makes it a hell of a lot more expensive. Yeah, I mean, that's why I said that I, I don't really want collections to get too big. Because I probably already spend about two hundred pound a month on food. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know why I spend on coconut chip. Probably, I don't know where it works out, probably 20, 30 quid a month, something like that. Do you know what I mean? And then, you know, so, you know, and then obviously, because uh, you've got garage, haven't you? Converted garage. Yeah. I've got converted shed. What's, what do you reckon your electricity is? A month? Um, during the during the warmer months, it's not too bad. Yeah. Uh, I know between this and the house, we're looking at, seven or eight quid a day in electric yeah something like that yeah um just looking at the smart meter before i came out and came in looking at about seven or eight quid a day which i would say that's probably before i had the garage this has probably gone up probably three quid a day something like that yeah it's about the same as mine yeah about three about two three quid a day yeah in the in the summer months when obviously when it's warmer outside heat is not working as much you don't need to but you know Heat mats aren't working as much. The stats are relatively low in percentage being used. It's been as low as sort of three and a half, four quid. Yeah. Yeah. It, comfortably three and a half, four quid as well. So yeah, I'd say at the moment, easily seven, eight quid a day. I'd say probably three quid of that is probably just just in here. Yeah. And that's from heat mat that's running, that's from fans being on that's from electric fans um, yeah, heat fans being on that's from cold air fans being on that's from from anything really incubators hatched in racks it all yeah it all takes electricity to run so yeah yeah i was gonna say i noticed a big difference when the incubators on it's one of the costs <laughs> you don't really think about but well, well massively massive i'm stupid i leave mine on all year round but just can't be able to turn it off. Actually, really, <laughs> the plug there, I can't just turn it off now. But yeah, I should do really. I'm, I'm just wasting wasting money heating up something that's not needed. Well, mine seems ridiculous because I've actually got a walk-in incubator. <laughs> Believe it or not, <laughs> <laughs> it seems ridiculous, <laughs> but it's like basically I tried to make like an incubator and everything, and I couldn't get the temperature to stay right. And I had like a, uh, so basically when I converted my shed, the guy who lived here before, he had it as a recording studio. So it's like really well insulated and everything. And there was like a bit at the back that he used as a cupboard, but he used it as uh, the bit for the mic, you know, so you walk in it and then you'd have a mic in it and all that. Yeah. 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 And so it's got a window and all that kind of stuff. And I kept looking at it and I kept thinking, do you know what? This wouldn't be a bad walk-in incubator. So I, I you know, I, I tested it to see, and it, and it's perfect. Holds the temperature perfect. Fantastic. So I, How many clutches you get in there? So I, so I tested one clutch in there last year just to test it, you know. Yep. And yeah, everything absolutely fine. So, oh God, I could probably fit like 200 clutches in there. <laughs> <laughs> I was, oh. yeah do you know what I mean but it's you know but I was like uh, to be fair it's what is really well sealed I've sealed it all and everything and stuff like that so it probably doesn't cost that much more to do that than no. to do like a fridge no, um, no realistically the, the space isn't going to be that much bigger so I because obviously I've got a digital thermostat in there and most yeah. of the time it's running at three and a half percent Nothing is it? I can't even see what mine's running at. I can't can't see the display so, from here. But, so yeah. to hold that, okay. once it's up to temperature, to hold it, it's only using like three and a half percent 
power. So I just thought, you know what, it's probably actually not that expensive to run it. So, but it does seem a bit ridiculous, especially last year when I was walking in and it's a huge room and I got one egg box in it. <laughs> yeah. I've got to start somewhere. Well, yeah, I know, but like you know, you're watching videos of like Paul at Urban Constrictors, and it's probably probably not quite as big as his but similar sort of dimensions do you know what I mean and you know he's got tons of clutches in his and I've got one in mine you know his seems worthwhile mine seems a bit ridiculous so but but it's not cost you anything to make it it's no no so it, it could have been a couple of hundred quid to get a fridge yeah made, things like that so, yeah that's what I thought I thought you know what probably probably one snake a year would probably pay for the the incubation for, for the year yeah. do you know what I mean so and it's one thing you've got to worry about when you do start producing more clutches and you go yeah actually now I need a bigger incubator now I've got to spend money yeah now I'm looking for space if it's already there it's already there it's yeah it easily has what you need to do so oh way more than not. yeah probably way more than what I'm intending to produce I I I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I just think I, I've got it in my head. I mean, probably it will change, but I've got it in my head that I don't really want to do more than twenty clutches a year. Um, just don't because do, I like as I said because I, I don't want it to be like a. I, I don't want to lose the passion for it. I don't want it to become like, do you know what I mean? Too much work. Be a chore to you. Don't want to go and the animals, breeding the animals, etc., to be something that you're not looking forward to. Yeah, it's for, for me. I love doing it. I, I would happily have more clutches. I think I had, had sixteen last year. I think I had eleven or twelve. Yeah, um, a few clutches were slugs or infertile, so there's a, a few off of that number anyway. But I could probably do. Could probably do twenty five, and that'd be comfortable. Yeah, but I think anything more than that, and it gets really difficult in terms of size, time, space. Yeah, things like that. So I've got, like I said, I've got forty five adult breeding adult spaces available that might be males and females. I'm just going to keep it as females. I'm never going to fill that up anytime soon. Mm. Um, Sitting around the 20, 25 mark at the moment, I suppose, with breeding weight females. Um, a few in the grow up racks that, once they're bigger, I won't just be adding them in. I'll probably be replacing some stuff anyway, some single gene or some sort of stuff that I don't really breed anymore. So, some of, that, some of, the, you know, some of the animals I've got here probably won't get bred again in, in a couple of years' time. Yeah. As, as nice as they are to have, as nice as they are to look at. I'll be furthering projects with different genes in them anyway. Like I've got a big female female breeding pied here. We've bred two or three times for me in the past. Realistically, am I going to breed her in two, three years' time? Probably not. Mm. Probably won't start her because she was, you know, one of the first expensive snakes that I bought. So quite fond of her and quite like her. But yeah, it's still going to be taking up a rack space and not and not doing anything. So yeah. Those that are going to be big breeding and stuff that I can get rid of, I will. And if not, I'll just have to just put a hole back and replace stuff every year. Yeah, like I said, don't get me wrong. I mean, if I, I'd breed a thousand if it was my full time job. But I I think, to be honest, I think I would lose a lot of like the. Uh, it, would, it would become such a job. 
that you'd lose a lot of the excitement from it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because well, you have to make sure that you know you covered your cost of living. You, you know, yeah. Whatever you're bringing home from work, etc., and whatever you you, you used to have in your pocket. And you're probably going to have to start paying stuff when it gets to that. Yeah. Point oh well, god. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I do. I see like a video on Billy, and I think like Monday to Friday, literally like eight hours a day, all they do is clean tubs or something, you know. And it's like, you know, that you start hating Mondays. <laughs> yeah. High life of reptile breeding. Exactly, that's what I mean. You know, like literally eight hours a day, five days a week cleaning tubs. You'd be like snake shit and piss off at the bottom of a tub. Exactly. You know, and to be honest, like I even thought about it this year because I think I'm doing twelve pairings this year. Right. Okay. I changed my mind on pairings probably five times, maybe more. And it, yeah. I honestly thought when I was like listening to Justin, and I think he said that he does, I don't know how many pairings he does, but it's a lot. It's like 500 yeah. or something. And he does it all himself. And I was thinking, I can't even imagine the headache of that. That, you know, and especially for Justin, because. If you pair that, you've, you've got so many options. The, I think it was. Oh, his options are crazy. Yeah. I remember listening to, to Mike Wilbanks. I think it was on Snakes and the Fat Man this year or last year. And I think he said he had 3,000 clutches. <laughs> Where do you even start to imagine that number? So, so those 3,000 had four eggs each. That's 12,000 hatchlings. Yeah. That you've got to find space, room, time for feed, keep keep records of. That's a hell of a lot of animals. Uh, yeah, that's because you got. I I mean, yeah. I mean, just you know, someone's got to keep track of everything as well. Yeah. On that, everything. Yeah, completely. I mean, going down to Darren Stairs, and he's got yeah, you know, hundred and fifty hatchlings or something like. That, like, fuck, that's a lot of this. Yeah. Isn't it? That's yeah. still a hell of a lot of work. So, times in that by three, four, five, six, ten. Yeah. It starts to put it into scale of just how big that is. Yeah, it does. It doesn't. You must forget you've got things as well. So, you must like open up a drawer and be like, I didn't even know I had that. <laughs> you know, it's. It, you, oh, yeah. You know, That's it, most of it. That that to me is kind of scary to 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 actually you know to get to the point where you just probably forget that you got. I've done it before when I, so when I clean, like I'll have a couple of tubs that are already made up, got substrate mm. in, got to put a water bottle in, etc. Yeah, that tub comes out, clean the other one, bang, saves a bit of time. Yeah, I've put snakes in tubs, got to pull them out, and gone, oh fuck, something's in that already. Like <laughs> I'd put that in there. Like you've got to come out. You go back into that tub over there now. Yeah. Bring that up now, Jesus. Yeah, I've done it before. It happens. That's what I mean. So I think I think there's a certain point where you get to a size where you must. I think Billy says that he's got two and a half thousand snakes or something like that. So it's just. I mean, luckily he's got. Obviously, he's got staff and everything. But oh yeah, what racks you got? I'm using JBKs at the moment, so I've got a mixture. I've got some JBKs that are my adult tubs. I've got a vision rack that is sort of hatchlings and grow-ons. And I've got wild racks for the for the sort of first hatchlings, you know, straight out the egg into there for get them feeding and get them going. I do have some more JBK stuff coming. 
bought um, bought some of Paul's that he was selling when he upgraded to the stainless steel ones. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking it will be BJVK. Hopefully by the end of the year, should be able to get them in. Um, I'd always like them. I think they're quite nice. <laughs> um, if I was keeping and breeding in the, the dining room or in the house, I probably wouldn't have them because they're not not exactly the smallest and the no, the, yeah, the most discreet bits of kit around. But yeah, for out here, they're perfect for me, really. Yeah, they're huge, heavy things. They look really they're, cool. Set up, but I mean, they're all they're all sectional anyway, so you just build them up level by level. Yeah. Um, so actually, on the on the grand scheme of things, they're not too too bad at all. You can build a well, I can build a three wide unit on my own. It's, it's not too bad, but yeah, I mean, it's, I prefer them being bulky and steady rather than the the visions. Right, they rock a little bit and they sway a little bit when you pull them, but it's plastic and it's it did the job at the time. It does the job for now, so. Yeah, that'll be going eventually, and hopefully not not too distant future. Hmm. Uh, is the Vision ones the ones that have the heat cable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah heat make. cable, with them, which is it's all right. Um, it's better in here now that it's obviously heated ambient all year round anyway. So for me, heat cable doesn't really make any difference to heat mat, but I much prefer having stuff on mats and knowing that. If that level goes, cool. I can just replace that level. Yeah. That's it. Whereas a heat cable, it's traipse around, pull it all out, yeah. pull all the animals out, put all the cable back in, get it back running again. Um, great for the hatchlings. The cable's great for smaller racks and things like that, but anything bigger than sort of juvenile females or nearly adult males, yeah, I might prefer having a bigger tub with cable in it. Much more solid temps, but. Yeah. yeah, it does the job. It does the right for now. What incubator you got? Have you got a converted fridge? Converted fridge, yeah. Yeah. Made it up myself. Um, that was brand new this year. That was the, one of the projects that was going on. Just a single door, sort of six foot Coke fridge sort of thing that I just converted. Um, what temp do you I, use? I incubate to 88. Do you? Yeah. Ooh. That's set at 88, and that's it. Your thermostat's set at 88? Yeah. And what day do you get hatchlings? Anywhere from... Pippage, anywhere from 55 to 57. Most are normally out by 60, 61. Wow. What thermostat are you using? Uh, microclimate Evos. Oh, okay. Ooh. Yeah, everything's set at 88. That way, if it... It does get a bit warmer. It's yeah, not yeah, really yeah. Going to be that much fluctuation, and if it gets a bit cooler, it's still still within a reasonable temp. But it's, it's absolutely fine. But yeah, it holds pretty steady at eighty-eight. I don't have a fan on in there either. Don't bother with that. Oh, okay. Um, I have put the fan on, and I found it fluctuated the temps a bit too much. Yeah. So I just turned it off, and it was it was absolutely perfect. It was I think less than less than a degree from the top shelf to the bottom shelf, which is or six shelves difference, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, yeah, it depends what fan you use because some of the fans can kick out their own heat, so they make the temperatures. Yeah, completely. And if they're sitting in a 
in essentially an insulated box, which is what all it is, is yeah. you know, that can add into it as well. So, yeah, I just turned the fans off and that was it, left it as it was. Yeah, I think that's the thing as well, because they're so well insulated that if the temperature goes too high, it takes ages for the temperature to drop back down again. So it's, yeah, just you, you end up too much like this. If you if the fan's kicking out heat and it's only a small area, it's just... Completely. That's why yeah, I said, we, that's why I switched to the room. <laughs> it was way easier. I had it on the other side of the room originally and it was opposite the window. Yeah. But when we moved in here, it, was, yeah, it wasn't really that hot. It was absolutely fine. So when I started getting the incubator set up and get it, get it up and running, came in one day and the temperature was up to like 95 degrees and that what's going on heat was blaring through the window yeah. sitting on the front door warming it up and of course the only way you can really get it down is to open the door let it air out you know, drop the temp a little bit yeah it's okay I've moved it over the other side now it's absolutely fine that's its job so have you started pairing up started yeah I've had five pairings five locks so far um, that's literally just the first, first few males going in with the the females um we'll see what happens there is i started writing all my parents down last week the week before mm-hmm. still haven't got around to getting them all all finalized yet so some of those will change still depends how how females are doing there's some that are sort of on the cusp of being ready to go now yeah or they may be ready at the end of the season i don't quite know but yeah they're I've got a vision of what I want to do and I've got most of them in my mind made up, but there's still a few females that I'm thinking, what if I did this? What if I did that? And it's, it's not too bad at the moment because there's a couple of males that still get into sight. So they'll be okay in two, three months without doubt. But at the moment, I'm not in a rush to pair them. I'll get the ones that I know. I'll get the ones that I know that will pair and that will go. Yeah. Get those, get those started first. I've got a couple here that, I know we'll lay, lay eggs anytime for sort of March, April time. So I'll get those started pairing first. Yeah. And I've got some females that I know that won't lay no matter how much I you know, pair them up and lock them. They won't lay until September, October time anyway. So yeah. I'm in no rush to get those ones done. There's some pairings that I want to get done this year that I'm really, really hoping for. Shots at the Desert Goes Clowns this year coming up. So that's the ones that I really want to go. And I've got some really nice DG female errands ready to go. Um, one in particular, a really nice female that I want to get in there, which is a leopard pewter pin desert ghost. Ooh. Yeah. Shall we go into, should we go into a visual DG for sure? Just a guaranteed desert ghost. Yeah, coming yeah. Out of it. it could be some fantastic stuff, but yeah, potentially looking at five, six gene mm. ghosts. Uh, I can't see anything coming out of that not being a home pack to be fair but it is the way isn't it I, if I get the same luck as I had this year I'll probably get shafted on odds and shafted on combos anyway so we'll see what happens see what happens I, I think that's so when when did you buy into DG? 2017 13? 17 oh 17 oh I was going to say wow okay. yeah 2017 was my first DG female I bought and what um, was that? Just a straight, just a straight DG. DG. Yeah, DG. straight DG female, about a kilo. Um, yeah, but I think all of my DG stuff has originated from her somewhere along the line. I had enough bread, bread out from that. So, 
yeah, 20, 2017, I think I bought that. And I think I bought a male in 2018, which was from Marcelo at Exclusives. Exclusives yeah. Nate. I bought an inchy spot nose Het DG from him. Bred those. Got eggs out of those. Hatched a few inchy spot nose Desert Ghosts. Stupidly sold the female because DG at the time wasn't, it wasn't the hot ticket. I kept the male. I sold the female because I wanted to get into the clown. I didn't have any clown stuff and I wanted to buy into clown. So I sold the female. Thinking that's fine. I'll, I'll go and buy some clown stuff. A really nice clown. Um, I bought a Firefly Leopard clown. That was my entry into clown. And now she just laid this year after being paired with the entry spot those DG that I hatched from that one. I was going to so, say that's perfect for crossing over to the DG stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I I always knew as soon as I, I hatched that inchy spot in those DG and I'd seen the Batmans and things like that, I was like, I really want to do Desert Ghost for that. That's what I want to do. So I knew I needed Leopard. I knew I needed Clown. And that was it. Yeah, I was like, right, that's been in the making for three years now, pretty much. I think 2018, all in the making for those, for those tests. And that was the only pairing I've really ever had in mind for her was there's a ghost. Has yeah. to be there's a ghost. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a it's been a while. There's been people who've been in it a hell of a lot longer and they've been in it and they've got some incredible DG stuff still. But yeah, there's some really nice DG animals being produced at the moment. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things, isn't it, where I think now we're starting to see the visuals coming out. The DG clown, the DG pides. You can kind of see that it it probably the long term future is going to be that everything's going to have DG involved. I think at the moment it's probably between DG and Clown. I'd say they're probably the hottest ticket yeah. recessive at the moment. They probably swap and change quite a few times, but I think that's where most of it's going to be. I think DG's definitely overtaken Pied as you know, the top or the second favourite recessive. Yeah, it's definitely DG and Clown or Clown and DG. And I think Pied's still up there in third spot. Yeah. I don't think Pied's are going to go away. Clown's never going to go away, but I think DG will be there for a, a very, very long time. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the thing is it sort of shows the way that Justin Veer was that, that red stripe, yellow belly. Was it spot Correct. nose or black pastel? Black pastel, Yeah. red stripe, yellow belly, wasn't it? Yeah. DG. But I think even he said that was a surprise because I think he, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people were thinking the same thing that probably thought I was going to wash that out, but it didn't. Yeah. It, it was incredible. It's amazing. It was incredible. And, and that's what I mean. I think the future of, you know, Clown is going to probably involve DG combos because it will have to at some point. I think, like we were saying earlier, I think everything is going to go into double receptors because. Yeah. DG doesn't make anything look worse. No. So why wouldn't you want to take a clown that looks amazing already and just brighten it up with some DG? Like, why wouldn't you want to do that? You look at the really basic genes as well. Pastel clowns. Okay, yeah, they're nice, but they burn out a bit, look a bit, yeah. a bit dirty and faded. Pastel DGs, on the other hand, complete opposite. Yeah. Get better and better with age, absolutely glowing. Why wouldn't you want to put pastel DG into clown and have the mm. pastel desert clown because it will look, look phenomenal just as a just as a pastel DG clown but I think it's all going to go that way eventually it's like, it was like um, I've got an orange dream clown and um, 
she shed out last night. And I, I, I swear to God, that shed, she's gone from being bright orange to brown. And it's, annoying, it's, it's gutting because she was yeah. she's nearly a kilo, so she was holding her color so so well, and yeah. just like that, she's going brown. And I was like, but again, I look at it and go, if you if she had DG in her, that would be DG. It wouldn't happen. It, it wouldn't happen, no, would it? You know, it just she'd be getting better. She wouldn't be getting worse. I opened, I opened adult tubs. Now I'm female. When people come around, I'll have a look at DG stuff. And I show them the inchy spot on those DG mail that I produced two, three years ago. And it's it's a luminous still. It's mm. absolutely, it's cracking the colours. It isn't, you know, it's nowhere near as vibrant as it was back when it hatched, but it's still. But nothing is. No, but it's still a luminous compared to, you, know, you put out a clown that you hatch the same sort of time. You go, you know, there's the options of what you can have. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to the DG all the time. Yeah. I think. I think the thing that's really sold me on DG is when I saw it with the dark stuff. Yeah, the contrast in the DG looks amazing. I, I didn't think it would work that well with the dark stuff, but actually it just makes the dark stuff so much better. Yeah. I and think it, chocolate DGs, blackhead DGs, things like that, they're going to be really, really good going forwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're not seeing a lot of the dark stuff at the moment because people are doing a lot of the lighter stuff to just put those colours out there because that's what people like to see. But yeah, I think there's a lot of darker DG stuff tucked away in people's racks. I'm going to try and do some GHI stuff this year. Yeah, that's nice. Um, the, the GHI DG is nice. The black pastel DG is amazing. So, yeah. that Yeah. You know, obviously chocolate DG is, you know... It, Chocolate DGs, pastel chocolate DGs look amazing. Yeah, there's a few little bits I want to do this year. I'm going to make some some hats on the GHI side. The GHI, GHI Mojave female to the NG spot those DG male. Yeah, hats for that. Um, but then I want to isolate some of the darker things out of the out of the leopard pewter pin. So yeah, the NG spot those to that. So I think. Cinnamon and spot noses, cinnamon and leopards, things like that. Try and get the pin out, try and get the pastel out, get some of those darker jeans in there. I think that could be some crazy stuff coming out. Yeah. Yeah, that would be insane. Yeah. I think cinnamon inches, you think how bright cinnamon inches are with that sort of yeah. orange when they hike. You can get that with some DG in there, a lilac as well, so you're never going to produce anything but yeah. I think you're, you're going to be onto a winner. Yeah. Yeah. Right, I'll ask you some questions. So, all-time favourite combo? Oof. Probably the leopard spot nose. Even without the clown, I think the leopard spot nose is probably one of the nicest looking combos there is. I think. Okay. I think spot nose is my favourite gene to work with, sort of aside from the recessive. So, yeah, I think the leopard spot nose. Yeah, I think spot nose is amazing. It's just a shame about the super, but yeah. but there's people that have hatched the, the supers now, isn't there? That have, yeah, have bring them and they've been okay. But it, it's just something you've got to bear in mind when you're crossing your genes, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it looks amazing. It's just a shame, you know. It's just yeah, it's just one of those things. All right, uh, favourite breeder. 
Justin or Will? I think those two produced, and I think they're just miles ahead of anything you see, and they're the ones that you go, Jesus, did you see that? Like, look at what Justin's just made. Everyone knows what Justin's made because everyone sees it at the same time. But yeah, some of the stuff those two guys pump out is crazy. Yeah. All right. Uh, you got to pick one. Pied or clown? Pied. Okay. Some, That's a hard choice. It is, it is a hard choice, yeah. Uh, the only reason why I choose pied over clown is just because pied ages better. I prefer clown hatchlings, but because pieds just age better, that's the only reason why. I think if you said to anyone who didn't know anything about snakes, you can have this, which is snake A, and this, which is snake B. One's a pied, one's a clown. They're always going to go towards the pied because it looks pretty. And it stays there. It looks that way no matter what age it is. All right, it might get a bit darker, it might dull out a little bit. But those saddles on the on a white snake people love to see it i think it's it's interesting when you ask people who don't know anything about snakes and don't like them like my wife hates pied if i show her a picture <laughs> of pied she hates it she thinks it looks horrible yeah. but she loves pinstripe really yeah see what i mean if people don't know anything about snakes it's quite interesting to see their reaction to things yeah yeah because you know? even though if you like or dislike something you know it's it's genetically powerful and what you can do with it down the line essentially you sort of put up with it for a little bit didn't you I suppose but yeah it's I mean yeah I mean it's like the same it's like oh, if I text my sister with like hatchlings or something I like you know like a tub full of hatchlings she'll say oh that one's really nice and she's picking one that you know is worth like 60 quid or something and it's right next <laughs> to one that's worth like two grand <laughs> I'm like really do you not like that one <laughs> you know she doesn't, but they don't know, do they? So they're just picking it off, you know. I said, yeah, what, what's pleasing to the eye. Exactly. So, uh, sunset or monsoon? At the moment, sunset. I've not seen enough monsoon that it isn't completely overpowering and you can't ID really what's in there. Does yeah, that make sense? Like, I, yeah. I think at the moment, everything that I've seen this monsoon, you could put any gene in that and say to me, that's a Mojave monsoon, that's a special monsoon, that's a leopard monsoon. It just looks monsoon. Because it because it came with Mojave, didn't it? Yeah. So I think the problem is, is getting it away from Mojave so that you're not exactly. making bells is the problem yeah. at the moment. I think... If you have a look at anything monsoon that's for sale, it's either Mojave... Past RV, yep. or you've got, I think I saw a crystal monsoon or something that was for sale the other week as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Which is fine, but then you're limited as to what you compare it to and what you're really going to do with monsoon in a belt. Nothing. The only the only thing that swayed me is, you know, um, the moray. Yeah. Which, we'll call it separate, but looks like it's the same. Is obviously the they've made the moray clown. Yeah. Uh, and I think they made moray fire clown. Okay. And the only thing that makes me sway is that I think that the Moray clown is better than the Sunset clown. Okay. And 
obviously, I I think a lot of people think the same thing. The monsoon pied is probably going to be the real thing that makes monsoon. If you can get that pattern in with those saddles, yeah, yeah, completely, that'd be as long as it's not high white. Yeah, will it happen? Who knows? Yeah. Well, but then if something comes out and they produce a, a red snake, then sunset's going to take over again, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, seen sunset ultramel, yeah. and we've seen the sunset yeah. pied. Red, red bar reptiles, isn't it, with the sunset ultramel? Yeah, and um, uh, oh, forget his name. UK guys made it. Um, oh, why am I forgetting his name? There is one in the UK as well. Um, trying to think of it is. Uh, oh, I'm trying to think it's worth look, the onset. I've actually got COVID at the moment, and like my it was uh huh. Emrock did he have the? Sunset, I don't know. So? Yeah, Emrock's got them, but I don't know if he's the one who made them. I think it was um, oh, Welsh guy. I've got I've got unbelievable COVID brain fog. I can't remember anyone's name at the moment. Welsh guy. I'm sure. Um, I, do you know what? If I search on my phone, I'll probably find it. But yeah, he's made one. Um, so yes, I'll, another one you made. Um, is it the one with Dragon Hatch? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 In the post. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, I think Gav's getting pretty close. He's made ultra, Ultramel Het Sunsets and Sunset Het Ultramels and all that kind of stuff. So he's getting pretty close. And he's obviously got, uh, I'm pretty sure he's making like Double Het Pied Sunsets or, you know, Pos Het Ultramel as well and all that kind of stuff. So I think... I think the Sunsets are going to go big in the UK soon. I know Ross McKee's got a crap ton of Sunset stuff. Yeah, the price is dropping incredibly quick though on it. I think I saw I saw someone yesterday at a show in America and they were going past the um, stands and there was like three sunsets for sale for three and a half thousand dollars. That can go up though. I mean, I remember walking through, I remember walking through Ham in 2018, I think it was, like December 2018 and someone had a desert ghost pine on the table and it was Three three thousand two hundred and fifty euros, and no one would buy it because desert ghost pies weren't weren't that good at the time. Oh, if only I had a time machine. Fast forward years, and that was ten grand, twelve grand snake that people were were itching to buy. Yeah, I think. Well, Marcelo's selling them now, isn't he? I think they're about eight and a half thousand euros. He sells them for. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, that would have been a worthwhile. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably where Marcelo got his from. <laughs> it, surprise, it really wouldn't surprise me at that price. It, it seems almost too good to be true, doesn't it, at that price? But it was from a good breeder as well. It was, um, he's there every year and he sells a lot of top snakes. I haven't seen him for a while, actually. But, yeah, Desert Ghost Pied sitting on the table at three grand and no one wanted it. It's mad, isn't it? Probably the best bit of business that he's ever done is not selling that. Yeah. Yeah, that's... All right, money no object, snake. So you can buy it. Any, it doesn't have to be for sale either. So if you say the Pompeii or something like that, you can have that. Money no object, probably the Stormtrooper, if it looked like it looked. That's what Gav said. 
and it stayed that way. If it stayed that way and it looked like it looked, I think everyone would love to have the Stormtrooper. Yeah. I think, Without a doubt. I think, it, looked, it looked incredible. Yeah. 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 It just, it's just an anomaly, isn't it? So it's just... Completely. Yeah. Completely. And it, and it is one of a kind. Yeah. You, know, you, can, you can make a Pompeii, you can make a... Yeah. A whatever. You, know, you can make a magma. Yeah. But no one's ever made that Stormtrooper again or got close to it. Nope. I think that's what you'd you'd have. Yeah, and I think I'm pretty sure it is the world's most famous ball python. Still, I think oh. it was. Uh huh. Got coming into the scene, it or, or knows about the picture of it. What's that? The stormtrooper. Everyone's seen it, hasn't they? It's, yeah, yeah. You see the amount of people picturing it. You know, oh, I've just seen the snake on it, and what is it? Oh yeah, that's the stormtrooper. Like, no one knows what it is really. No. People have, speculated and guessed and things but I think it became the most famous because it was like the most googled ball python or something yeah without doubt yeah without doubt I was, I was going to say I think I saw the stormtrooper storm before I was even like you know keeping ball pythons and things like that yeah. it, I, I saw it and I was like holy yeah. you know what the hell is that you know it's another one of those things you know I remember seeing the first time I saw a pied I didn't think it was real yeah yeah you, I thought it was photoshopped <laughs> I didn't think that could be real. I was like, that that's not that's not something that's real. Like, you know. And it's crazy because hide pops up in so many other animals and so much other genetics. Yeah. Things like that. But you see it and it's like, you're like, Oh yeah, Jesus, like that that looks like that, really? Yeah, I mean I was gonna say, because I mean I worked I worked at a reptile shop like over twenty years ago and I think the only morphs, there was like some in leopard geckos and there was like obviously corn snakes, but that was it. There was no, do you know what I mean? There was, yeah. you know, like you had albino berms and stuff like that, but there was no albino ball pythons or, you know, I'd never heard of a pastel or like spider no, or anything like that. It was like, really. it just wasn't like around back then sort of thing. And then, you know, even when they did, and then when I remember when they like first popped up and they were like thousands, you know. Yeah. Um, I remember people paying like six grand, like hearing stories of people paying six grand for pastels coming in and things like that. Yeah. If what six grand can get you now, it's yeah. getting you a head more than just the pastel. It was more like the, I suppose there was probably quite, it was so easy back then. You could have been so dodgy. The amount of money people were paying for het pies. Yeah, they weren't hurt they, they well. for anything. They're just normals, you know. And that guy, snakes in in Europe, he was the the master of it, or wasn't he? Really, oh, selling nice. those red snakes that he painted with a bit of oh yeah 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 the water paint or whatever, and people were dropping hundred grand or whatever, and it's like oh you can't pick them up at the show, I'll get them dropped to the show or whatever, and you know, fifty grand on these heads to make these red snakes that that weren't even real, and he burned a lot of people with it. No, I know, yeah. I, I mean, there was genuine ways of losing money, wasn't there? Because obviously Brian BHB was buying dinkers from Africa and sometimes they proved and sometimes they didn't. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think he said that Viper Ball cost him something like 50, 60 grand and it never proved. You know, so, you know, people were... I, I'm, But I think he said he made millions off the pinstripe, so... Yeah, he bought the first pinstripe for like twenty five thousand, didn't he, or something like that? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, the amount of money made out of that from selling 
sending hatchings at probably 18,000, I probably guess, something like that, 18, 20,000. Yeah, I think... He sold 25 and made his money back, I don't know. Yeah, I think the first pies in that were like 25 or something like that. Well, I know the most expensive one sold was the Super Fire, wasn't it? A Super Fire went for 100 grand. Yeah. One of the shows, which is crazy money. Yeah. Crazy, crazy money. Yeah. Then I was just listening to Snakes and the Fat Man podcast a couple of days ago, and they had gone there talking about spending 15 grand on Mojave's and 10 grand on Cinnamons. They're like throwaway jeans almost now. You pick them up for 100 quid tops. Yeah, and, that, and that's it. Well, I mean, Billy spoke about it, didn't he? Because he, he said that he used to buy bre- uh, female ball pythons, normal female ball pythons for a dollar a gram. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so he said that, and they said that they used to chuck a couple of large rats down their neck before they sold them so that you'd pay, you know, and then they'd do a massive shit. Yeah. And you'd, you you know, you'd overpaid by like three, four hundred dollars. There were ways of doing it all, wasn't there? I mean, you look at, uh, scaleless, how much that was going for when it first came out? Sort of 50, 60 grand. You can pick up a scaleless for 1,000, 1,500 now, quite comfortably. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the problem is now is it's like kind of a bit of a dead line, isn't Someone it? Is a bit now, isn't it? People yeah. Because obviously, the scaleless head because of its brightening stuff, yeah, brightening capabilities and things, rather yeah. than actually taking a punt on the. Super fully famous, and it not being yeah. being viable down the line. Well, I think because Mike Wilbanks has basically said now that he's kind of admitted that he's never seen a female super on eggs, so it's um, it's a bit of a dead end, isn't it? So yeah, completely, completely. So, um, yeah, I, it actually makes me laugh because actually, I think a few years ago I was even thinking about doing that. I was thinking about getting into the scaleless because you know what I mean. They looked really cool. But um, they look awesome. They look awesome. For yeah, they were. they look amazing. Uh, like you know, um, but it's just yeah. Now you realise actually you probably dodged a bullet there because you know they do need extra care. You know completely. And I think it was. I think it might be Mike Wilbanks that was saying that he was like he was helping some that had bad sheds and he was literally just ripping the skin off of them. It was like that bad at some points. So yeah, no one, no one's going to be buying into that. And well, you know, I. I think what they said is is that basically what they do is they are constantly in a shed cycle. So they shed and then go yep. immediately into another shed cycle. So the problem with that is that they don't eat. Yeah. So they take a lot longer to get to breeder size. Yep. Um, but even once you get them to breeder size, as of yet, no one's successfully bred one. No one's seen those, those on eggs yet, have they? I think the project could could make a comeback if someone went here is a breeder weight female on eggs comfortably etc then you might get a bit of legs back in the project but i think up until then it's yeah really dead yeah i I think i yeah i think it's one of those ones isn't it i think this is another but you know take a chance on it i'm pretty sure i'm I'm pretty sure someone said mike made millions from it so you know i think mike's made millions from it i don't think he would i don't think he'd done it and, and made a loss no. I think he was in it at the right time and he was selling at the right time where yeah. people wanted to spend 20, 30 grand on things like that because if it, it paid off, they were going to make that money back within yeah. in the first clutch or two. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So it's just, yeah. It's like you say, some, some of these things seem crazy money, but, 
you know, it's like what they say about the guy. I, I, I listened to a podcast where a guy like invested uh, something like twenty five grand in a banana. Um, and happens, doesn't it? Yeah, but the guy, the guy he was with, didn't, and he regretted it because basically what that guy did is he bred that banana to something like twelve females. <laughs> Without doubt, you've got you've got to, haven't you? Yeah. But that much. And, and he that made a hundred grand the following year because he had so many baby bananas, and he sold them all off for like I don't know what the price had dropped to, but you know he, he made something like hundred grand. You've only got to make a, you've only got to sell four, haven't you? And you've made your money back. Exactly. So, yeah, it depreciated quick, but like you know, they still made money out of it. So. You know, but they were waiting list on banana. Yeah, you know, people put their names on a waiting list for when you hatch a banana next year is ten grand or whatever to put it down on. They were they were probably less than ten grand by the time they got them, but people were buying into it, weren't they? It was going to be the, the what it was for a while. That you know, the next big thing. It's mad. It's, I, I, but the thing is, I can't. When he said he put it to twelve females, I was like, Jesus. What's the most amount of females you put one male to? Five. Yeah. And that was over the course of... The, it was the back end of one season and the start of another, essentially. So over the back end of two two seasons, really. Well, one, one season, but over two years. That was the back end of 2020 into 2021. So, yeah, I put, put him to five. And he, he was a virgin male, first time. And he, he actually produced with every single one. Um, not all of the females laid good eggs, but yeah, he produced produced eggs with, with every single female. So yeah, it can be done. I, I think four or five is probably my limit. I think five was probably stretching him a little bit thin, but he had plenty of time to get back in, get rested, get fed. And he had, he had through the whole time as well. So yeah, he, I think he had making plenty of reserves ready to go. It wasn't a case where he was stretched in and it was yeah. you know, female after female after female. He had, a, he had a good break and it was, I think he bred five over a six or seven month period, so it wasn't too bad. Yeah, because I, well, I mean, I was going to say, because this is the way I do it. So if, if I put them in and they lock on the first night, I take them out the next day. Do you do that or do you leave I'll, them in? I, I would leave them in until I see them unlock. And then I would take them out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't pull them apart or anything. I'm yeah. just saying, like, if he usually, like, I've got one, he'll go in and he'll lock, like, with any female, like, straight away. And usually by the same time the following day, he's unlocked. And I'll just take yeah. him out because he's done, yeah. you know. So he's only in there for, like, 24 hours. And then... I've got a couple that will lock for... Uh, a leopard clown that will lock for about two days. He'll stay locked for. And then he's done. But, yeah. He's a little bit slower to get going, though. So you might take... I've had to leave him with females before for like four days, five days before he's actually has a lock. Yeah. And it's going. Um, and then he'll lock for 36 hours, 48 hours, and then he'll be done again. And that's it. He, you know, take him out, feed him up again and get him ready again. But yeah, I don't I don't leave them in there any longer than they need to be. Once, they, once they've done the business, get them out, yeah. get them back in, get them back them. in their own sub, yeah. feed them up, rest them up. Yeah. That's we'll yeah. Wait, wait another two three weeks before trying them again. Yeah, yeah. I oh, just how often do you pair? Do you pair once a month or? 
all depends. So either once a month or sort of once or twice a shed cycle. Um, the smaller females, I'll try once a month because I know that they'll probably start developing the follicles a bit quicker that way. Mm-hmm. And it'll hopefully kickstart a bit of a feeling response if they're pairing. Bigger stuff that I know roughly when it lays or know exactly when it lays, I'll just give them a two two locks, three locks over over the course of that breeding season, and that's it. Um, like big pied girl, I know that I can lock her up February, March, April. She won't do anything. If I start locking her in June, she gets going pretty quickly, and then she'll start producing follicles and lay around October, November anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. Similar. Like I say, it's pretty similar to how I do it. Just, I think without a um, ultrasound, yep. you got you got to just look at the female and then just try and judge it on where just, you just female, isn't it? Yeah, look when they laid last. Look at when they were locking last. Look at the information that you have already, really. Yeah, um, got access to ultrasounds, but I don't don't have one myself. I've used it a couple of times. It's nice to see, but a lot of work to do it on your own as well yeah yeah i've never tried one they do look you know i get it if you if you i think the only advantage for them really is if you're looking to pair one male to a lot of females so obviously you can yeah you can rest him for like you know you don't have to put him in there when he doesn't need right. to go in females done yeah 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 completely because i mean like you know even now i'm like uh I've got a couple of females that I think are probably very close to ovulation or, you know, or, you know, something okay. around that stage. So I'm like, even now I'm like debating whether to chuck a male in or not. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's too late sort of thing. But I with, you haven't with, gone yet. Nothing else with Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I thought, well, without an ultrasound, I'd just chuck a male in just to be safe rather than sorry sort of thing and just keep it going sort of thing because it's about that time. So... But obviously, if you had an ultrasound, you... Yeah, picks up, up, quick look, yeah. Yeah. Quick lock, if it's a short one, you never know, that could be the one that... Exactly. ...that gets it, essentially. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's the thing, so... So how many clutches you got coming next season, do you reckon? I think I've wrote about 18 pairings down. Probably somewhere around 12, 13. Probably okay. come out of that, maybe. Um, my plans may change. I may may leave a few females out, or I may may put some put some more females in. But yeah, roughly eighteen parents written down. If not everything's going to produce, I wouldn't have thought. I've not got that lucky yet, where everything I've paired has produced. <laughs> I would say if I can get twelve out of those eighteen, thirteen out of those eighteen, I'd be quite happy. How often do you feed your females when they're breeding? Feed them more often? No, I just up the feed size. Oh, okay, okay, you do it that way. Yeah, so it, it may be that, say, unless there's stuff left over, then they might get an extra, you know, if something isn't eaten, they'll get an extra top up that way. But if I know something's going into breeding season and they're normally on small rats, I might give them two medium rats and two small rats throughout that course of the month rather than four small rats. Um, I don't. Don't ever chuck anything down that is too excessive in terms of size or quantity. But I've got a few dustbins that if I put three small rats in front of them, they would eat three small rats quite happily. Yeah, yeah. And they'd, they'd keep on going. Um, 
but yeah, just, I did give them a little bit of extra. I don't, I don't increase the feeding. I don't, you know, don't change it from anything else other than every week. Um, I just, just up the quantity of the, uh, up the, yeah, the quantity of the prey size. Yeah. Um, where do you sell? Do you sell on Morph Market or? Morph Market mainly, yeah. Um, Instagram probably primarily is where most of my sales sells through. Oh, okay. Always. I always put pictures up of things on Instagram before they go to Morph Market. And then generally that garners enough interest that people drop me a message. Uh, what is it? You know, how much you're selling it for? When's it ready? Blah, blah, blah. And then I'll say, look, it's going up on Morph Market in, you know, at the weekend when I get time to do it all or whatever. If you want it, let me know. If you don't, cool, it's going up on Morph Market and then someone else might get a chance. So, yeah, yeah, I think Instagram's probably been probably been the best for sales this year i tend not to post as much on facebook for sales wise because it can get a bit a bit tricky at times and I, think, I think there's a better selling selling audience through through instagram and you know people snake pages that way than there is facebook because a lot of people don't have snake related facebook so they don't yeah. really care they don't look the thing and it's i don't you know the amount of snake pages that i follow on facebook is pretty slim to be honest um but I follow a hell of a lot more on Instagram. Yeah. So I'll see a lot more that's for sale and I'll, I'll reach a lot more when I'm trying to sell things. So yeah, Instagram mainly. And then, yeah, Morph Market. Okay. Cool. So um, when's the podcast starting? January will be the first episode. Okay. Don't ask me for an exact date yet. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking potentially new year's day so generally the first might be the release and then we'll see how it goes from there um i'm gonna do one a month so nothing too crazy nothing well a minimum of one a month um so it's not going to be pumping them out every week and putting myself under a load of stress and hassle trying to do it um so yeah one a week at uh, one a month starting from january if there's time and space and capabilities i may do a couple of episodes a month but of course, that all depends on other people being yeah. to do it as well. So it'll be good. Hopefully, people tune in, pay attention, just have a laugh, really. I think that's the thing. I think what you're going to realise is that the time-consuming thing is the editing. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, it's already the thing I'm not looking forward to the most. No. Yeah. And if you hate the sound of your own voice, you're going to really hate it. Because you've got to listen back to it again and again and again and again and again again and again. Yeah, I'm hoping that I can do. I'm hoping I can do episodes with minimal editing, and just let things run, and hopefully people behave themselves. But that's not always the way. No. So yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Well, um, first couple are already lined up anyway, so we'll get them done, get those in the bag. I'm going to try and sit on a bank of recordings that I can edit in my own time and not worry about chasing the deadline to put them out. So if I can sit on three or four recordings and give myself a little little buffer zone and perfect, but yeah, if not a month should be plenty to get something recorded, edited and, and out there for the people. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's probably about right. <laughs> How long do you normally spend editing yours? It depends. Um, probably about three hours. 
Okay. So yeah, that's a that's a fair chunk of time to get it. Yeah. Get them ready to go. Yeah, because you have to really you have to listen to the, the whole thing, and then you put markers all along, yeah. and then you go back to those markers and you start cutting the bits out, you know, and yeah. moving bits round and things like that. And then uh, yeah, probably, and then I sometimes then have to listen all the way through to check that. So yeah, taken the markers out. And yeah. you've not chopped it too much. Basically, yeah. and it just so that you don't get you don't pick up any like glitches where you cut bits out and things like that, yeah. you know, and, and stuff. So but yeah, yeah, it does it does take it's time consuming. The actual recording is easy. <laughs> it's the it's the editing. It's uh you know, that makes once you've done that you go, Oh, do you know what? I'm not gonna record another one for a while. This is just ridiculous, it's too time consuming. So yeah. So did I see that you got a confusion? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I've got a confusion. What is it? Confusion hit pied. Oh. Um, which I know you've done, you've just produced as well, haven't you? Some confusion hit yeah. pied stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, confusion hit pied. It's got no eyes. Oh, okay. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a blind blind snake, blind as a bat. But it eats um, okay. Eats okay, yeah, everything, including my fingers at times. So, oh. Yeah, appetite's there still. It's, it's growing well, it's, it's eating well. So, yeah. Let's see how it goes. Um, so, is it male or female? Male. Yeah, oh, you get. Confusion hit pied male. <laughs> um, so, I've got a couple of pied females that if it's getting up to weight and it's breathing okay, then yeah, yeah, I will put it into. I will put it into into some females down the line. But we'll see how it goes. I'm in no rush yet, and if it if it doesn't, it doesn't. It's. Is it not just make or break for me and my plans? Is it just confusion? Yeah, just confusion. Just a straight confusion hit pied. Um, that's what I wanted to yeah. make. Really? Yeah. You've done some some good stuff with it though. Yeah. Was yours female? I got a male and female. But Okay, well that's but the uh the female is uh super pastel yellow belly confusion and the male um yeah, I think the male is he's either pastel or super pastel. Yeah. Uh yellow belly uh confusion pinstripe cool but nice. that's what i mean he's got so many genes in him that even if i put him to a straight pied iding those is going to be an absolute bitch <laughs> yeah but it's worth there's a uh, there's worse headaches to have isn't there yeah but it was because i wasn't even I, the only reason why i did that parents because you've seen have you seen the confusion pied that um Design reptile. I haven't seen them. You I haven't seen them? No, I um I was looking for some stuff. The other oh, day. I'll it's send like... you pictures. I'll send you pictures. But you can see that it has a real influence. Uh, Marcelo's okay. Marcelo's made some as yeah. well. His have got fire. Um, so they're really low. They're really high white. Yeah. So his are a real struggle to even ID with fire in them. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um. But the just the straight confusion pied is nuts. That's what I like to hear because I was looking for pictures the other day and I couldn't find anything that was guaranteed to be labelled as just confusion pied. So it's like, confusion. It's yeah, it's hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send me the pictures. With, yeah, I was going to say with yours, you're going to find it easy to ID. Yeah, I'm hoping so. Yeah, I'm hoping so. 
Um, yeah, easy. Because so you know, obviously the head stamp. Yeah. Yeah, the head stamp's really prevalent in the pides. Okay. Um, the worry with mine is because mine, like for instance, if the male proves out to be super pastel, it'll have pastel in it. That's going to blush the head, so I'm going to yeah. have a problem with the head stamp, and um, yeah. and you know, like pastel in pied can whack out the pattern. Yeah. Same thing that confusion does. <laughs> so. Yeah. Hopefully, there'll be some sort of marker where you can see it and say that's. Yeah, they've. That's the, uh, that's the pattern. The heavy heavy head stamp on the pied is so because you've got a straight. That's why I wanted a straight confusion. Um, right. Okay. Because the head stamp is like obvious. Okay. Um, and um, they they look like they're going to be like a medium white if you just have the straight confusion. That's good. So I've got, got just straight pied girl and an inchy pied girl that I was going to pair them to eventually. So yeah, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I think that that's ideal. I think yeah, inchy. Uh, I mean, they're probably. I mean, leopard and pinstripe. You know, like the lemon. I've seen lemon blast leopard. Right. Pides, they're they're you know you can see the leopard so i'm hoping it's yeah. going to be a similar thing yeah of course i just think the pastel is what's going to mess me up for iding 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. yeah i think it's, it's I, a bit of a tricky one but uh, yeah hopefully there'll be enough, enough like media out there at the time that you'll that's be able to yeah good enough get from it that's what i'm hoping when marcelo because i knew marcelo had confusion head pides like two three years ago so but he's just not put a lot out. He put out like one picture of a fire pied coming out of an egg and said, think this is confusion. Um, <laughs> but apart from that, there's just, there's not a lot. I'm hoping that Justin's got to be working on him. He's definitely got confusion stuff, hasn't he? Oh, he's got tons. He's got confusion. So yeah. Yeah. I would imagine there's going to be confusion. Well, there's already confusion clown combos that he's done, hasn't he? So there'll be some confusion pied stuff down the line. That's pretty nice. I should imagine. All right. Well, cheers Wolfie for doing that, buddy. No problem, mate. Great to have you on. Pleasure. No, thanks for having me, mate. It's always good to talk snakes. And I'm really looking forward to your podcast, buddy. So we'll get you on, mate. We'll get you on. <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. Take it easy. See you, mate. Thanks, Cheers, Jeff, mate. mate. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.